after the service, Ted and Jean have brought a cake. And so there is cake because if there's going to be a celebration, you can't have a celebration without cake. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, yeah, and Don, we've got some chairs in the back, and so we can, we can put those out too. So when we, as we do the two services, just want you to be aware, I'm sorry, as we go two services down to one service, just kind of be aware of your surroundings. So if there's some spots kind of on Sundays, kind of move in closer to the middle, and, uh, and that way you can kind of open up some spots. Uh, you can open up some spots for people who, uh, who come late on the later side. And you don't give, don't give them the look like, well, this is what you get for being late. You give them like a graciousness. We're excited that you're here. So, so make sure you, you create the spaces, right? Create the spaces for people to come. And so just kind of be aware of those sorts of things. Well, this morning, we're going to look at Jeremiah. And you go, again, we just looked at Jeremiah. Yes. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Jeremiah 29. We looked at a message by Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a prophet, one of the big prophets of the, of the Old Testament. And of the Old Testament, that Jeremiah was, was the one who was telling the people of Israel that they were going to lose the land of Israel. So the, the, the people of Israel, God went down to, sent Moses down to Egypt, brought the people of Israel out and as they brought them out, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And then after being in the wilderness for 40 years, then they entered what's called the promised land. And the people of Israel were given the land of Israel. And the land was a gift. God said, this is, this is you. This is, your, this is for you. But what happened was that the people of Israel were using the land of Israel to rebel against God. To rebel against his word. And to start worshiping other gods. And so God sends prophets in and says, Hey, can you tell them if they keep doing that, they're going to lose the land. If they keep on abusing me with the gift in which I gave them, I will take the gift back. And so the prophets come, they say these things. There's times when the people of Israel turn around, but continually, continually, they, 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 they use the land to rebel against God and to worship other gods. And so finally God says, that's it. You're going to lose the land. And so one of the prophets that tells them these sorts of things is the prophet Jeremiah. And so Je- Jeremiah has an unpopular message. And the unpopular message is, that's it. You're going to lose the land. And so then there's the exile, the Babylonian exile. Now, a lot of times when you hear about the role of prophet, right, there's three main roles in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. The prophets are, what the prophets are, the prophets are uh, the representative of God. They come on behalf of God. That's why the prophets are always saying, uh, this is what God said. This is what God has said. A lot of times people think that the prophet's main job is to predict the future. That's what prophets do. Prophets predict the future because prophets give us what? prophecy. And I would say, well, actually, although prophets do give us prophecy, and some of the prophets predict future events, that's not their main job. That's actually not what mostly they're doing. And even when they're predicting future events, a lot of times it's the natural consequences of current actions. For instance, if you're a parent and your kid has a toy and the kid keeps on banging the toy against the concrete, you say to them, you keep on doing that, and your toy is going to break. And they keep on doing it, and the toy breaks, 
and they just start bawling. And what do you say? I told you. I told you this was going to happen. I said that if you, kept, if you keep on banging the toy against the concrete, the toy is going to break. Now, are you some sort of crazy predictor of the future? No, you just get consequences, right? You foresaw You tried to warn them. And that's actually a lot of what the prophets keep, keep doing. Now, there is some where they, they are predicting future things. And that's yes, but that's, that's so sort of minimal, I would say. And really what the prophets are doing is that they're speaking a difficult message into a difficult situation. In other words, the prophets are rarely coming as an encourager. Like, hey, we just, like the prophets don't rarely ever come to say, hey, God, God, God spoke to me and he said, you guys are doing a really good job, so uh, keep up the good work, right? The prophets typically are bringing a very difficult message into a very difficult situation. So even sometimes when people say you have the, the spiritual gift of prophecy or of, of the prophet, it's not about speaking the future, but you have the ability to speak difficult things into difficult places. And that's sort of what identifies the prophet. And so we think about this. How do you speak difficult truth into a difficult situation? And I say that because I think that there is a, an increasing there's an increasing tension between the message of Christianity, and I want to be very clear about this, not Christianity, but the message of Christianity, and not just Christians, but the message of Christianity. There's an increasing tension between the message of Christianity and our culture. And some people will say, well, it's actually becoming less and less, like, acceptable. We go, yeah. And the message of Christianity is becoming less less received. And I go, yes. And part of me says, I think what God needs is God needs more prophets. Not more prophets in the sense of like, I will predict, yeah, you want me to predict the future? I'll predict the future. Not talking about that, but the ability to speak difficult messages into difficult situations. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a few weeks here. We're going to look at these things. This morning, what I want to look at, I was going to take you to actually a place in Jeremiah's life that looks at like the heart of Jeremiah, the, the struggle and the tension that's within Jeremiah. But really, when we talk about the prophets, is that what the prophets have is they have, the prophets have the Spirit of God, they have the authority of God, and they have the message of God. They have the Spirit of God, they have the authority of God, in other words, they come on behalf of him. And they have, they have the, the, the uh, what did I say, the, the message of God. So it's the spirit, the authority, and the message. And so we're going to actually take each week and look at the spirit of God. We're going to look at the authority of God. And we're going to look at the, the message of God. Because those are what the prophets have. If they don't have one of those three things, then we would label them as false prophets, right? They might even come with the right message. But God is like, God's like, I did not send them. They may come, you know, God may say, like, oh, they have the Spirit of God, but even if they have the Spirit of God and they're bringing the wrong message, false prophets. Prophets have the Spirit of God, they come on the authority of God, and they have the message of God. And so those things are, I think, what are being needed today in our community and culture. And so when we talk about there's, there's an increasing 
uh, incongruency with culture and the message of Christianity. Really, the message of Christianity is what we talk about is the gospel. The gospel. Now, the gospel is a term that just kind of gets thrown around. Right? Oh, it's the gospel. It's gospel. Is it gospel music? Is it the gospel message? The gospel can refer to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. People are like, what? But what is the gospel? And a short version of this, we could go on forever about this, but the short version of this, and we'll talk more about this when we get to the message of God. But the, really, the gospel is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. What was accomplished? What was accomplished with his death, the fact that he was buried, and what was accomplished with his resurrection? The idea about his death, the death on the cross, is that he died, he died, that the sin, the sins of the world were put on to him. And sin, the payment of sin, is, is death. And so when, when Christ went to the cross, he went to the cross for your sins. And so that we could be offered the forgiveness of sins. And so Christ went to the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And then the resurrection and the burial proves that he was dead three days in the tomb. Then the resurrection proves that he has power over death. The reason why Jesus can offer eternal life is because he's conquered the death. The idea about Jesus and the gospel is that he died the death that you should have died to live the life that you should live. He died the death that you should die, that you should have died, so that you may live the life that you are called to live. And so you go, well, forgiveness of sins, life, how is that offensive? But there's things that we see in here that are offensive. And I'd say, well, the first part is that one of the things that the gospel says is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, everybody's been in the wrong. And not only have you sinned, but the scriptures tell us that you've sinned. You go, I've sinned. Yeah, I'm sure I've done some things. It says, no, you've, you've sinned against God. You go, whoa, 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 whoa. And that's offensive. People don't like to be told that they were wrong, right? And you go, yeah, and you elbow. You don't like to be told you're wrong. Nobody likes to be told that they are wrong. But yet at the core of the gospel says that you are wrong, that I'm wrong, that we've been in the wrong. And not only have we been in the wrong, but we, we've lived in the wrong. And then what the gospel also tells us is that we can't save ourselves. Right? Is this idea that, that we are not saved by our works. We're saved by the grace of God. This idea that how can you earn your salvation? The gospel says you can't earn your salvation. You can earn your damnation, and we've all done that. But you cannot earn your salvation. That is by the grace of God. Because how could you ever earn the approval of God? And so what it says is that it says that you're helpless. People don't like to be told they're wrong. And even when they hear that message, they don't like to be told, and you're helpless. You don't believe me? You go to work tomorrow. Yep, and all you do all day long is tell people they're wrong. You say, oh, you're wrong. It doesn't matter what they say. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong and you're helpless. And you see how many friends you end up with, right? You see how many friends, people like you at the end of the day, because this is what the gospel says. 
Which is why sometimes, unfortunately, in the church, a more popular message is that with, with the, what, God, what Jesus has come to do is this idea that you're a really good person, you're a really good person, and Jesus has come and he died for you to make you what? A better person. And what Jesus wants to come alongside, do is to come alongside you and help you become that better person, the person you've always meant to be. And I go, that's, that's a false gospel, by the way. It sounds great. It'll preach, unfortunately. People like that message. And really, if you're telling the two, the two messages, one, that you're guilty and you're powerless to do anything about it, or you're helpless to do anything about it on your own, or this other one's like, actually, you're a really good person, and you just need a little bit of, a little bit of bump with, from Jesus to get you up over the hill. And you go, well, I like that message better. You go, the problem is that message is a false gospel. And I think that's the one of the times where we, we try to, people try to change it because it, it sounds more palatable. It's less offensive. And yet what we find in the Gospels and in the stories is that often God's message is offensive. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take you to a place in Jeremiah's ministry where he's going to share very openly and honestly about his life and about ministry. And I think actually this morning's passage, on a sort of a side note, but I think this morning's passage actually gives us one of, the, one of the great pictures of what depression looks like in the Bible. And so if you've ever battled with depression, now depression is not the, not the, the, the main point of this text, but I think we see Jeremiah, Jeremiah kind of this, this, this kind of downer prophet. And you go, and kind of rightfully so. And so we kind of get, I think, that one of the best pictures we see of depression in the Bible. So Jeremiah, before we step into our passage, Jeremiah has been preaching. You're all going to lose the land. You're going to go into exile. God's going to come in and take the land away. And Peshur, he was the, uh, a chief priest. He was the overseer in the temple of God. And so here's he hears this priest hears Jeremiah speaking this message, and he's the one that's in charge of the troublemakers. And so he says to them, he says to them, well, basically he says to Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah, you can't be saying these sorts of things. Has Jeremiah beat? And then throws Jeremiah in what would probably be solitary confinement for 24 hours. And so Jeremiah, who's been speaking the message of God, is receiving lashings and beatings, and then is arrested. And Jeremiah's got to be thinking to himself, this is not the way I thought this would go. I thought I was on behalf of God. You know, the adage like, well, when God closes the door, he opens a window. But what if he closes the door and locks the window? And then like, there's a back, like, there's, there's no way out. And I think that's a little bit how Jeremiah is feeling. Jeremiah is feeling trapped, as we're going to see. He's feeling trapped by the call of God. And so what does he do? I think that Jeremiah is trying to reconcile this idea that he is living out faithfully the ministry of God, but things don't seem to be going well at all. What I want to do is first, I want to take you to, to the beginning of Jeremiah. This is in Jeremiah chapter 1. Verse 18 and 19. Now, this is the call of Jeremiah. God has come to Jeremiah, is speaking to Jeremiah, and he says, at the end of that, he says, And behold, I will make you this day 
a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to what? To deliver you. And so this is the message that Jeremiah gets at the beginning of his ministry. I'm going to make you like a fortified city. What does it say, right? Fortified city. With iron pillars, bronze walls. And I think often when we hear these sorts of things from God, what we hear is fortified city. That sounds really good. Bronze walls. I like that idea. Iron pillars. Sounds great. God's going to deliver me. Sounds great. But then we read right over this stuff where it says, basically, the whole land's going to be against you. The reason why God would fortify you is because everybody's going to be against you. We don't like that so much. What we hear is palace, nice, big lawns. What he's saying is that I'm going to fortify you because everyone's going to try to kill you, but, you, but they will not prevail against you. And I will deliver you. Now, this is the promise he gets at the beginning of his ministry. And I think he goes, oh, man, what's that going to be like? God's my deliverer. And then he has this message of God. He's faithful with that. He speaks a difficult message into a difficult place. And then what? Things get worse. He gets arrested. He gets beat. And he's thinking to himself, what happened to that fortified city thing? What happened to that you will not, they will not prevail against you thing. What happened to that, that, that you will deliver me thing? Where's, where's all of that at? And I think these are the very real places of the Bible. So with that being said, I want to take you now to Jeremiah 20. We're going to start in verse 7. This is Jeremiah's prayer. O Lord, you have deceived me. And I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I cry, I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach, a derision all day long. We want to soften this, right? Deceived me? You think about God and praying honestly to God. God, you have deceived me. And I was deceived. Now he's not calling, because it, it sounds borderline blasphemous. You go, can, can, can you say that? I mean, this is the great prophet Jeremiah. The idea is that, here with the word, is that basically you seduced me. You wooed me. You brought me in. I, I heard these promises. And then I, I followed them. He admits, he goes, you, God, you persuaded me and I was persuaded. That's what he says. You persuaded me and I was persuaded. You deceived me and I was deceived. You're stronger than I and you have prevailed. So you wooed me and you overpowered me. I had no chance. I had no shot. And guess who won? You won. Because I did what you asked me to do. 
But he's thinking, I did what God asked me to do. God, you wooed me, you overpowered me, and yet here I am. And this looks nothing like I thought it would look like. Maybe you've been in this place where God says, I want you to trust me. You're like, I don't know, God, that's a new thing. God's like, I want you to trust me. And then you trust, you're like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And then you trust God, and then it gets worse. And you're like, God, you're making it really difficult to trust you down here. And God's like, no, 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 no. Trust me. And then you're like, all right, God, it's getting worse, but I'm going to trust you. And then you trust him, and then it gets worse. And you go, God, I don't know how this trust thing is working, because every time I trust you, things, it appears as if things get more difficult and worse. Things go sideways. You are left perplexed. And you think to yourself, this did not go as planned at all. Now here's the good news. God's promises are to fulfill his plans, not your plans. Now if, if what Jeremiah thought was that God's, God's purpose was to fulfill Jeremiah's plans, then yes, everything has gone sideways. But if what the idea is, is that God, has, God is going to fulfill his plans through Jeremiah, then everything is then on track. And here we see this. Now when things go sideways for you, you trust God, things get worse. You trust God, things get worse. And you think to yourself, maybe nobody notices. Because if they notice that the reason why I'm doing these things is because I trust God, I'm going to look like a fool. And people go, you're foolish for trusting God because the more you trust God, look what happens. And actually, this is what he says, right? He says that I become the laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me. Everyone mocks me. Oh, here comes Jeremiah. Yep, yep, the faithful prophet of God. Nothing's going his way. Look Look how much God loves him. He got beat. He's arrested. Look how much he has the blessings of God. I mean, you think about it, These are very real places for Jeremiah. And then he says this idea that the, he says, for whenever I speak out, I, I basically, I, I'm, I'm speaking the message you gave me, but every time I speak out, it's violence and destruction. And the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach, a derision all day long. Now, I'd love for you to come here on a Sunday morning, and I'd love to give you an encouraging word from God. To take the word of God and to say, let me encourage you with it. Let me, let me build you up. Let me, let me edify you, as we say in the church. But man, how much did the preaching would be more difficult if all that you ever did was come? And I'm like, death, destruction, death, destruction. You're like, I've been to churches like that. It's, that's not, it is not good. And what, what Jeremiah says is this, this has become a weight for me. The more I speak, the worse things get. The more I speak, the worse things get. And then you think to yourself, Jeremiah, I got an easy solution for you. Stop saying things. Because if you, every time you speak, things get worse. Just shut up. And things will go better for you. I feel like Jeremiah's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't think I thought of that? And that's what he says right here in the next verses, right? Verse 9. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more of his name, 
There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terrors on every side, denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall, perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. He says, I, then I thought about maybe I shouldn't say anything, because every time I speak, the worse it gets. Every time I speak, the worse it gets. Then I thought, maybe I should just shut up. And I tried that for a while, and that was worse. Because there was something, the other words was this external thing from, from, from people that was coming in on me. But then when I was quiet, there was something internal that was happening to me that was trying to bust out. I think about maybe for you, you've had this experience with maybe family members or coworkers or maybe a spouse. You go, well, last time I said something and that did not go well. And so this time I'm just going to be quiet and not say anything. But then it starts to unfold. You go, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. It gets a little worse. Like, I'm not going to say anything. You can start to feel it, start to rise up. Not going to say anything. Not going to say anything. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, now I got to say something because, because this can't go. And then it just, it just busts out. It's like verbal vomit. And just like, boom, gone. And Jeremiah is saying, that's what it was like, except for a lot of times when we do that, that's like our own sinful nature. He's saying, no, this is actually the word of God. And it busts out. And he says, and when it does, people start whispering. Let us denounce him. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. Say who? Say who? All my close friends. Not my enemies. My close friends. Everybody's waiting for me to fall. Everyone is waiting for me to fall so that they can overcome and overwhelm me. Remember what he said? The promise was, the great promise of God in one eighteen. Everybody's going to be against you. That's why I've got to make you a fortified city, Jeremiah, because even your close friends are going to rise up against you. Now he goes on, verse 11. But the Lord is within me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you have I committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise to the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of the evildoers. And so then you go, oh, Jeremiah has turned a corner. He went from, man, everybody hates me. Everybody hates me. I tried to be quiet. It busts out of my bones. And then the more I talk, the more people hate me. And then he turns this corner. You go, oh, good, Jeremiah, you've come out of your funk. All of a sudden, you're like, you know what? The God is my warrior. The persecutors, they're going to stumble. They will not overcome. They will not succeed. They will be shamed, dishonored. Their dishonor will not be forgotten. I think sometimes in these places we have to remind ourselves of the promises of God. 
Because in these hard places like this, we don't feel as if the promises of God are coming true. And I would say the more we... the the more we feel like they're not coming true, the more important it is that we state that they are true. I don't think Jeremiah is saying this because he believes it necessarily with like every fiber of his being. I think he's saying this to remind himself the promises of God. Because what were the promises of God? Basically that God says, "I, I will deliver you. They will not overcome you. And so I think that here he says this because In this place, I think he feels like he's the one stumbling. I think he feels like he's the one who's shamed. I I think he feels like they're the ones who are succeeding. And that he's the one who's being dishonored. And what he's doing in this is he's, he's reminding himself. He's reminding himself. He's calling it out to God. He's reminding us as the readers that there's a different reality out there. And the reality, although I don't see it right now, I don't feel it right now, is that I will overcome. I will be delivered. I will succeed. They will be shamed. They will be dishonored. And they will be forgotten. And so he reminds himself that God is my judge and God is my deliverer. And so you get to this part and you're like, oh, Jeremiah, man, you really turned this bus around. Like you were really bummed out. And then you came back around, remind yourself of the promises of God. And so things are on the right track. Then we get verse 14. Cursed be the day on which I was born. The day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news of my, to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning, an alarm at noon, because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have given, so my my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come out from the womb? To see toil and sorrow? And spend my days in shame? Isn't this how depression goes? You're not doing well? You're like, oh man, the whole world's against me. The whole world's against me. The whole world is against me. And then there comes a day where you're like, you know what? But God is great. God is great. You think to yourself, I turned a corner. I turned the corner. New road, new day. Just to wake up the next day and you go, why am I even here? What am I doing? And I go, yep, yep, this sounds about right. You're like, man, I found myself back in the same place. And this time maybe even worse than before. Curse the day I was born. The day which my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Word of the wise, don't, wor- don't wish uh, Jeremiah happy birthday, right? Jeremiah, happy birthday. No, not happy. Not blessed. May your day be blessed. No, not blessed. Cursed. Cursed be the day. Cursed be the day I was born. There's an interesting thing. Have you ever laid on your bed and wondered why you were born? Ever laid on your bed and thought to yourself, man, maybe this world would be better off without me. I would stop causing pain. 
I would stop feeling the pain. And here what we say is that that's what Jeremiah is saying. I stopped saying the message of death and destruction. They've got peace. I'm dead. I have peace. Everybody's happy. Why was I even born? Oh, that my mother's womb would have been my tomb. Now, if that's you, here's a good experience. Here's a good thing for you. If that's the same experience that Jeremiah had, the great prophet Jeremiah. You always think you're alone in those thoughts. You're not alone in those thoughts. Great men and women of God have had those thoughts. And so, and then he says, curse the man who told my dad it was a boy. I go, man, Jeremiah, you're just rolling them off, aren't you? And he, has, and he says, curse him like the cities that were overthrown. He's, he's referring to Sodom and Gomorrah. He goes, made that guy. So there's this guy. So baby was born, and it's a boy, which is good news in, the, in, in this Eastern culture. Great news that it's a boy. Goes to dad and says, dad, it's a boy. And dad's excited. Jeremiah says, curse that guy too. I'm like, what did that guy do? Like, what did he do? Like, all he did was just bring information from point A to point B. And Jeremiah goes, curse that guy too. And I go, yeah, this is, this is actually what depression does look like, right? Curse everybody. Curse everybody. Cashier tells you, hey, have a great day. Have a great day. Who do you think you are to wish me a great day? Those are the dark places of depression, right? This is how, I, I think this is a great picture that we get from the scriptures of what this looks like. And what's most curious is I think this state is brought about by what? By his faithfulness to God. Curse the day I was born. Jeremiah is not questioning the call of God on his life. You know that? He's not questioning the call of God on his life. He's actually questioning the life in which God had given him. That's a much bigger question. Now, I want you to think about this. To, 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 to ask a very obvious question. What is it that we're reading? We're reading Jeremiah. More basic than that. What are we reading? We're reading the Bible. You're right, we're reading the Bible. And... We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. In other words, that we believe that, that this is actually God's words himself. He says, this is what I want my people to know. That he canonized this. He says, this is what I want you to pass down from generation to generation. And what's most interesting is that in this, is that he says, I want you, Jeremiah, I want you to include that moment. Am I, am I, in God's all-knowingness and his, all of his wisdom, he says, I want you to include that moment. Now, most of us, this would be our greatest fear. We have these thoughts, and we hope that nobody ever sees them or hears them. We may have these moments in our closets, <laughs> in the bathroom, in our bedroom when we close the door and just ask people to leave you alone and you don't answer the phone. It would terrify us to know that those moments, not only were they going to be made public, but they were going to be canonizing God's word for all of eternity. And this is true for Jeremiah. And so, here's the tension and the heart of the prophet. Is that God has given him a message to proclaim. 
and it's his job to proclaim it. No matter the outcomes. That God has given him a message to proclaim and he has to proclaim it no matter the outcome. That he's actually not responsible for the response. He's not responsible for the people to repent. Because as far as we know, they don't. And so in that level, you go, Jeremiah is one of the, the, the worst preachers ever. Because he preached this message and nobody listened to him. What kind of preacher is that? He's not any good. And yet he was a great preacher. Why was he a great preacher? Because he was giving the message that God asked him to give. He was more faithful to God than he was, was what people perceived to men. He cared more about the audience of one than he did the audience of thousands. And because of that, he was a faithful communicator of God's word. And one of the things that made him what we'd say is a true prophet. And so what do you do? Because here's the problem. When people reject God, they reject also those who represent God to them. And so if somebody's rejecting God and you come to them on behalf of God, they go, I reject you too. And a lot of times it's actually that fear of rejection that we actually allow it to, to mold and shape the message in which we are called to proclaim. Now hear me on this. The goal is not to get rejected. Some people think that. Like, oh, my goal is like, Jesus said you're going to be hated by the world. And so, the, so if I'm faithful to God's message, I'm going to be hated by the world. So the more, the more people that hate me, the more faithful I am. I go, no, 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 that's a broken way of applying that truth. My goal is to be hated and rejected. No, no, your goal is to be faithful to proclaim the message in which God has given you. Now, what happens with people's responses, that's not your, that's not your responsibility. And so, I don't know what the visions of Jeremiah's ministry were, but I know this, it wasn't what it had become. The role of the prophet is to speak these difficult messages into difficult places. And so that's why we're going to look at this. Maybe God's calling you to speak a difficult message into a difficult place. And you go, no, no, no. God, but they, they might reject me. I go, yep, maybe. God, but they're not going to hear it. You go, yep, maybe. But the prophets of God, they come with the the message of God, they come with the Spirit of God, and they come on behalf of God, the authority of God. Jeremiah had all three. And we're going to submit to you ahead of time that if you are in Christ, you too have all three. You have the Spirit of God, you have the message of God, and you come on behalf of God. And with that comes responsibility to which you're like, I think I'm going to be out for the next three weeks. I think I'm just going to be, I, 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 I'll come back when you talk about something else because, because that, that's a lot. You go, yeah, yeah. We have the Spirit of God. We come on behalf of God with the message of God. And with that comes great accountability. And maybe it might lead you to the places I led Jeremiah. Possibly. Possibly. And that's Okay. The good news is for us and for Jeremiah is that God delivered Jeremiah. 
the dishonor of the others, whatever their names may be. They were shamed. They were dishonored. They were overpowered. And God delivered Jeremiah. The deliverance looked different than what Jeremiah thought. The overpowering looked different than what Jeremiah thought. But the honor and the glory was greater than what Jeremiah could ever have imagined. He would not have imagined that here we are 2,700 years later speaking about this moment in his life. It speaks about God's power to deliver. It speaks about God's power to, to speak continually through his prophets. Um, and I think is inviting us and encouraging us to do the same. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the prophet Elisha, sorry, prophet Jeremiah. And we just thank you for um, just the work that you did in through him. God, thank you that we see this morning his humanity. I thank you, God, that in your infinite wisdom and knowledge, you weren't afraid to show that, to expose that, to canonize that. Places of feeling like if the world is against you. Places of feeling is like why were we born or, or the world would be better off without us. Those are all lies. But we see this with Jeremiah. God, we pray, we thank you that, that he, is the, he is a prophet. That he comes on behalf of you with your spirit with your message. And I just pray that as we, we walk through the next few weeks, that we would, we would be open to the same. One of the beautiful things is that you said that your spirit is on us, that those that are in Christ have your spirit. And you have sent us out with a task, with authority. And authority to proclaim a message, and not our message, not the message that we want to say. This didn't appear to be the message that Jeremiah wanted to say. It was tearing him up inside. How do you even have to say it? But that we'd be faithful to proclaim the message in which you've given us. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.